welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle. As always, I'm your host. It's been a while, so let's catch up on what we missed before we jump into today's episode. So first, uh, my book, Ready for Polyamory, A Pragmatic Guide to Consensual Non-Monogamy, came out while the series was on hiatus. Uh, and it's available on Kindle and in paperback from Amazon. The link is in the show notes. I hope that you enjoy it if you get the book, and uh, it's been a journey to get it uh, ready and published, so I really hope you like it. Uh, at, in the same time frame, I've launched uh, coaching and peer support sessions that you can book via my Ko-Fi page, which the link is also in the show notes, um, and that's at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory. There are sessions of different lengths and options for solo or diet or polycule sessions. The first couple months of sort of soft opening that have been really awesome. So I'm excited to get this open to the public and I really hope that more folks uh, take advantage of this. I have a TikTok now uh, so that all you Gen Zers can make valid fun of me for being old. So follow me at Ready for Polyamory on there uh, if you want to use it to see... Uh, polyamory info, some stories, and a lot of silliness from me. Um, and as always, the blog is at readyforpolyamory.com. I'm on Twitter at LauraCB88, and I'm on Instagram at readyforpolyamory. We've got the Facebook group, uh, which folks can post in to sort of get support amongst all of us. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash readyforpolyamory. And moving into today's and next week's episodes, we're doing a two-part series looking at how different folks' religious or spiritual upbringing and practice has affected their polyamory, brought them to non-monogamy, or, or otherwise made being non-monogamous in a largely mononormative world easier or harder. Um, personally, as a raised Catholic, but kind of sideways, I can tell you a lot about very, very many saints, and we went to Mass every single week, but, like, we attended a tiny, dying, old-fashioned local church, a person who's currently agnostic. My spiritual experience mostly colored my non-monogamy and my sexuality early and through a lens of kind of shame and cultural expectation that I needed to unpack. Um, where that comes up as relevant in the following interviews, the four interviews that make up these two uh, episodes, I share more. Um, oh, and there's a blog post on this that I'm going to link in the show notes for both episodes. Largely, I sort of shed this conditioning by shedding the entire religion and choosing to view it as myth, magic, and ritual, which is a privilege that I know many don't take for themselves or are not kind of capable of taking because religion is one of those deeply seated sociocultural issues that once it's in you, you can't really drop for a lot of people. But we'll get to that in our conversations. Uh, in episode three today, we talk to an anonymous blogger and podcaster who has a growing platform called Purity to Polyamory about the process of leaving the evangelical community and finding non-monogamy. Um, and in the second half of our program, we contrast that by speaking with my metamor, Daniel Greenwolf, about how being raised in a supportive Wiccan coven gave him early representation of non-traditional relationships of many shapes, and what that meant for his coming out process as a polyamorous pansexual adult. I love the little robot voice, and we're live. Hi! <laughs> so, 
we're here talking about uh, religious practice and spirituality and our polyamorous journeys and how it's affected us. And we're here with Purity to Polyamory, who has an Instagram platform, a Discord server, um, and a bunch of other social media. I'm so sorry, I'm forgetting what's what here, uh, to talk about her experience uh, growing up with sort of a stricter religious background compared to some of the other people who we've spoken to in this series um, and how that's affected her practice of polyamory. So uh, can you introduce us to yourself a little bit and sort of where you're at in your polyamorous journey and a little bit of your background? Sure. I'm so glad to be here today with you. Um, I, I'm not going to give my name. I am anonymous on the account, but my account name is called Purity to Polyamory. And it's pretty straightforward. I came from a purity background. Um, I got married when I was 19 and, um, and then found myself walking into the non-monogamous space a few years ago. Um, and that quickly evolved into me researching and reading and learning about polyamory, which was something that I was not aware of from, um, given my background, <laughs> they don't talk about polyamory or non-monogamy in any, any sense in the church. So, um, yeah, not I, the most common background information, right? So I was surprised to come across um, something that I really identified with very quickly. Um, and it, it came after I had sort of deconstructed my um, Christian faith. So um, I found it really aligning with who I am. And yeah, so I have been sort of in the space of exploring um, what polyamory means in my life for the last couple of years now. So, uh, in a sort of basic understanding of the timeline here, you were brought up in a purity culture, Christian background, uh, one of the various different versions of Christianity that pushes a sort of uh, very traditional, traditional marriage, early marriage, stay pure until you get married kind of background, right? Yes. And after already being married, having sort of lived in that sphere and then discovering that that wasn't so much for you anyway, you were then looking at different things about the world, discovered non-monogamy and later polyamory, right? Yep. That's basically a great summary. I think one of the biggest key pieces of my journey was not really asking myself who I was as a sexual being and really what I wanted out of that part of my life, um, because I was really taught that the sexual realm was something that was going to be led and by my husband and, or by God who had ordained a certain way that we would walk in our um, sexual journey, which was remaining pure till marriage. And, and then after that, um, sort of just going along with what my husband wanted. So when I did allow myself to sort of explore what um, I wanted in terms of my sexuality and more than that, you know, and that more than just the sexual aspect, but really just out of life in general and relationships in general, um, I found polyamory and, and was able to sort of come into that. Um, I was married at 19 and this whole questioning of 
all of these things happened closer to around 30 for me. And um, so, yeah, it's just been, like I said, a few years of exploring that. You've had to do sort of the on steroids version of deconstructing uh, kind of mononormative culture myths about uh, only having one, the one person who's going to fulfill all of your needs and things like that, right? Because not only did you have all of the standard uh, sort of movie tropes about these things, but you had all of the uh, culturally in uh, incited and church incited teachings about exactly how you were going to be living your life as well, that you were slowly peeling back. Am I yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that when you walk from monogamy to non-monogamy, you have a lot to deconstruct um, just because of our society's standards. But then when you add the Christian or religious background to it, it's a whole nother extra layer of things that need to be deconstructed and worked through for sure. And does any of that end up sort of affecting who you or your partner end up choosing as other partners now that you're exploring non-monogamy or, you know, does it create new awareness of what your deal breakers might be that might be different from other people's? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think I find myself really drawn to people with similar backgrounds because they understand the trauma that I have been through because they've been through it too in varying ways. Um, and so I tend to sort of surround myself, not just with potential partners, but friends as well who relate to that background. And of course, I'm um, that's why I created the space that I created. I knew that there was a community that sort of needed the intersection of deconstruction and religious trauma and, you know, um, walking into or experimenting with these alternative relationship structures. So yeah, I definitely find myself drawn to those type. It's not as if I say I will only date ex-evangelicals, <laughs> but it definitely adds a layer of understanding. And um, yeah, I think for myself, I just find myself drawn to partners who can even if they haven't themselves experienced that can empathize with the challenges that come from that background. That makes a lot of sense. Like being with people who can understand where you're coming from, I think is a pretty essential drive for a lot of us. And when it's something that's a little more specialized than that, that was a big part of our lives. It makes a lot of sense to be looking for that. Um, my background is sort of distinctly different, but related on like a square from that uh, I'm I was raised Catholic uh, and here in the Northeast where you know 30% of my state is Catholic so we were the biggest group um, in that sort of the school schedule was based around our holidays uh, and so was the school lunch menu so if we were having a fasting day where nobody could eat meat then the school lunch did not include meat um, and it definitely shaped a lot of my early adulthood figuring out what I was doing with myself in terms of what I needed to what voices in my head I needed to stop listening to about like what my goals needed to be you know the like back of your head voice that's like no no only stupid sluts do that 
had to be pulled right away. Uh, and those were hard things to undo. At least for me, they were. Um, and part of undoing them for me was sort of peeling away some of my religious belief because I could only separate them after I separated myself from the essentially the church and the sort of social groups that gave the overarching sense of like this is the one way we're going to live this um but i know for lots of people they can view it as just a cultural norm that they're peeling away some of just like i view a lot of the other mononormative things uh where i go oh yeah of course we don't have to only be two people living in this house right Mm -hmm. they can do that with some of these um what is marriage kind of things and i could only do that to the what is marriage kind of things after i was like and also i don't believe in god anymore <laughs> right yeah definitely i talk a lot about how i had to or at least i'll say it this way my non-monogamy journey i didn't allow myself to go into that space even like fantasizing um until i was fully deconstructed um, and so when I decided, you know what, like, I do want to really ask myself, like, what, what turns me on? What, what do I want for my life? I had to release any bit of my faith in order to do that because my faith was really tied up in a lot of shame and guilt around my sexuality. And I think a lot of a lot of mainstream religious groups and especially mainstream Christian religious groups, and I include Catholicism as a mainstream Christian religious group, even though I know a lot of Christians don't like that because it is, it's everything else is a protest of Catholicism. Anyway, there were sight gags there, folks. I was making ridiculous faces and hand gestures, <laughs> um, but basically, you know, including them, all of these sort of mainstream Christian religious faiths especially are pretty heavy on the like, well, let's make sure that we've got a virgin bride and let's make sure that there are only two of you and that all of the, pro you know, all of the uh, sex is just for procreation and uh, let's make it so that the Monty Python guys can write a song about every sperm being sacred, shall we? We'll set it in Ireland. Right, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what, you know, denomination you considered yourself. I mean, most of us got that kind of messaging, even if we were not religious, we just got that that messaging in our culture. Abstinence only education is a prime example. Right, just under 75% uh, of my area is Christian, and we've got some of the most comprehensive sex ed in the country. And it still starts with the best sex you know the best sex you could be having right now is abstinence so oh geez yeah uh, that was me doing uh jazz hands at the microphone i'm sorry <laughs> listeners i keep forgetting that i'm not on a video program but basically look they then follow it with oh yeah and i guess if you're gonna do this uh use condoms but like don't let anyone tell you to do this stop it now and right. like it's a couple of old italian guys teaching this who used to be football coaches that's how it works in my town at least cringe <laughs> yeah cringe that's that's rough yeah to return to our uh basic topic we've said that like the biggest cultural norm that was sort of amplified was this sort of overarching idea of 
sex being shameful and purity being an imperative and those being sort of big things that you had to deprogram in order to be able to approach non-monogamy in the first place and that because of that you tend to seek out partners who are from similar backgrounds just so that they understand some of the trauma that you're working through and so that you know if either of you gets triggered you sort of understand each other do you think there are any other sort of underlying issues that this kind of religious background lends itself to within polyamory or are there any benefits to coming from this kind of background like do you think there's a benefit to the fact that you had to work through so much of this ahead of time i don't want to like silver lining all of your issues but yeah i've never been I asked that it. before <laughs> like that's how i see it for myself is that i've yeah. spent so much time deconstructing and in therapy that like now maybe i'm well equipped but <laughs> i just like get this image of that like meme or whatever that's like something to the effect of like my trauma made me funny like <laughs> well, i don't want to do that to someone i don't want to be like the people who tell me that my adhd is a superpower i don't want to like be like your trauma is a gift no right 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 <laughs> no i don't think i don't get that at all i like the question a lot um I don't know that I've spent much time thinking about it. Um, I am really in a place in my life right now where I'm still unpacking it. Um, I just recently um, got out of a monogamous marriage, the, the monogamous marriage that I was in when I got married at 19. So I'm very much in this space, but I hope someday I'll be able to look back and say, okay, this is this led to this. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I know that having been going through a global pandemic to now, uh, it's certainly been a challenging time for folks who are trying to explore new connections to do so more freely. So like, I've certainly been trying with absolutely no success to add more additional new relationships in the last two years. And I've been like, well, I really love my partner who I have. Yes, I think everyone soon. <laughs> everyone is feeling that right now for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know what? I just like to say right now that my online non-monogamous journey is popping. So <laughs> I think we all can have a level of um understanding right now <laughs> around that. Yeah, for sure. Like the community is active and great, and there are so many folks. Uh, approaching this from all kinds of backgrounds, including this one, the platform that you have going both on Instagram, where I follow all of your stuff, um, and in the discord that you have under remodeled loves discord is like genuinely active and sympathetic and like fun, right? I fun is probably the wrong word, but like people are sharing <laughs> and sometimes it's fun. Yeah. Well, and I, oh, you know what? That brings up another point about my, my platform specifically and people with my background is, and, and I personally just kind of have like a personality where I'm able to be patient and help educate. Um, and that's important when you have a platform like mine, because a lot of people who are coming from that background are unpacking things that are 
not great. You know, ideas Mm -hmm. that we had that we were taught that we might not even understand. We have these internal bias that still need to be worked through. And so I, I, not to, you know, prop myself up here or anything, but I do feel like I have a little bit more patience than some of the other polyamory spaces that I've been a part of. Um, cough, cough, Reddit um, <laughs> is one. Reddit is a cesspool. Yeah. Um, where I'm able to sort of be like, yo, that's, I get where you get that idea from, but it's not cool. And we got to work through that, like where you need to work through that. And let me help you do that because I had to do it as well. And it's tough, you know, but um, I do find myself able to sort of do that and empathize with with those ideologies. Right. My entire basis for starting to teach in polyamory spaces was that I kept going, I just made those mistakes just a couple years ago. Here, let me get let me give you an arm. Let's get Mm -hmm. you some rope. Like exactly. I feel like I am constantly getting messages um and comments and stuff from people who are just a couple steps behind where I am now. And it's just one of those things where it's great to be able to be supportive, especially in a community like the evangelical community where like folks are really varied in what they're figuring out that they want. But the thing that they have in common is that where they were was so relatively restrictive that giving people the ability to look at all the options and then take an honest and intentional decision about what they end up wanting is such a great resource. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing to make sure that people give polyamory a fair shake before they go, oh, no, not that. Yeah, I think that's so important and not something we're given um, with my with my background, with our background. Um, it's totally okay to explore polyamory and then say, you know what, it doesn't work for me. I, I want monogamy or whatever, but what's important is that we're given the choice. Yeah, we're definitely not all out here screaming from the pulpit <laughs> as we have been um, done to saying that polyamory is the best option for everyone. What we are saying is that it's a, it, it is an option and it is a valid option and people, everyone should be able to get to choose what looks best for them. Right. We don't proselytize, but we want people to know what the choices are. Exactly. I think that's a good note to pause this on. Are there any places that people should follow you. I'm going to link to uh, your campsite link with all of the links in the show notes. Uh, But so you've got the podcast. Are you releasing more of that coming up soon? I know there's a few episodes already out because I've seen that on my Apple podcasts. Yes, I have a couple episodes. My most recent one was with Jessica Fern, who wrote Polysecure, which was a great episode. Her and I chatted about the challenges, the specific challenges um, for purity culture survivors. Um, And then I've got a lot more um, in the works here. So it's going to be really awesome. Awesome. So (laughs) the link to that, as well as your other um, platforms is in the show notes. I'm so glad that you were able to chat with me about this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you for coming. So you can check out Purity to Polyamory on uh, her podcast, Instagram, or on her Discord server, all of which you can find linked at her campsite site in the show notes. Now we're going to go into my interview with Daniel Greenwolf 
about his upbringing in Wicca and how that has affected his polyamory. Okay, so we're live now. Isn't that great? Oh, I feel so special and happy about it. So I'm here with Daniel Greenwolf, who is my metamor and a super charming human, to talk about polyamory and spirituality and religion today. Uh, so, Daniel, it is my understanding that you are pagan. Is that correct? Um, I, yes, I would even go more so to specifically say that I am Wiccan. Uh, I am a second-generation Wiccan. My parents uh, are, were and are Wiccan. One of them is dead, so he might still be Wiccan, but who knows? That's that's for somebody else to answer. And uh, and my mother has been Wiccan for, oh goodness, uh, at, least, at least 40 years. So... Uh, so this was your entire upbringing. It's not a spirituality that you turned to as an adult. Has your practice changed at all as an adult? Absolutely. I feel like uh, my entire realm of, of of religious following has become. You know, I use I used to I use this terminology of like a I have a dust covered altar, and that really just it defines my religion right now. Is that I I believe, and I want to practice. And I'm, I'm constantly at odds with myself. And that's a whole nother episode to go into about my, my own odds, my own spirituality. But I still classify myself as that. And I still am part of that community. Uh, so that helped. Great. So in general, today we're going to talk a little bit about whether or not you feel like this uh, background and this spiritual underpinning of how you view the world has affected your practice of polyamory. And do you think that Wicca in particular, as opposed to a sort of either Christian or atheist flavored with Christianity, which is what most of America who uh, are atheist have, worldview uh, changes the way you approached ethical non-monogamy? Hmm. Well, uh, right off the bat, I would say that for me, being Wiccan and growing up in that culture certainly gave itself to ethical non-monogamy in so many ways. I knew from a fairly young age that, <clears throat> and I started performing at festivals when I was like 12 years old, Beltane festivals, uh, which is the springtime festival for those who don't know. Um, yeah, usually the festival connected to fertility. Uh, so that's a very charged kind of atmosphere. Uh, and, and my parents were strongly monogamous. My mother, uh, in fact, even with my father's passing in 2009, has never dated or tried to remarry because she is so monogamous. Um, you know, the whole goodwill hunting line of like, uh, my, my husband's dead, you know. Uh, however, there is this, the culture that was around us um, was always one that was very loving and very accepting and, and not just accepting of queer culture, but also accepting of this concept of, of more than one uh, and I mean, it comes back from the idea of Wicca. Wicca itself uh, is a polytheistic religion. And so uh, even saying that, <laughs> being that's, you know, even saying that phrase, in fact, even when I was like 12, 13, I was explaining to people, I would say that Wicca is a polytheistic religion that focuses primarily in nature. And that all of that kind of plays into the concept of ethical non-monogamy, especially if you look at nature itself and the, the concept of group raising and, and, and tribal kind of uh, upbringing. And uh, that really played into that because I just saw these people that, and it wasn't, I don't even, I didn't know the term polyamory then. I just knew that these folks were um, not closed was kind of the mm -hmm. term that was kind of, they were open and it was a family. That's what you'd see a lot of, you know, these, this is my family. And you just never questioned it. And I think that that really played into my own acceptance for um, being ethically non-monogamous and then eventually uh 
gearing towards uh, actual polyamory. Because I started in ethical non-monogamy because of, I would say, a lot of the ways because of these these festivals. Right. You were in a sort of um, either open arrangement or kind of swinging arrangements prior to being polyamorous. And so you were sort of more open to that because you'd seen all of these experiences of people with different shapes of families and different varieties of openness that proved to you that people could have those relationships without blowing up their lives as it were absolutely uh it was the calmness of it it was the very casualness of it in so many ways that made me say oh this isn't a big deal right unlike a lot of people you had some representation <laughs> yeah i mean that's what it was right i mean that they're even from the higher ups even those people that call themselves um uh high priests and, and priestesses um you know so even those folks that were seen as the you know higher echelon of 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 paganism you know not necessarily you know everybody's got a different things like that but like those folks were involved in these relationships and even seeing that and go oh and my parents never eschewed that my parents even though they were monogamous they never said at any point "Ugh, that's disgusting that's bad there was never any of that at all and do you think it affected how your family reacted when you came out to them about your polyamory because i know you're you were in our coming out series of episodes but if folks haven't listened to that first of all you fools you fools go back and listen to it um no but i for me absolutely that played a role into it because uh, like i said my father had passed uh when i finally came out to my mother about being in a polyamorous relationship and this is why i was still with my my now ex-wife and my mother was very much of the mindset of, I don't understand it, but as long as you're happy. And that played a role. And, and then also as the years went on, my mother really did understand it. My mother really did get it. Um, but it was just a, along the mindset of, it, it's just the mindset of, of, you know, and ye harm none, do as ye will. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's part of the Wiccan read. Uh, and, and whatever you do comes back to you threefold, which I don't know if that plays in the polyamory, but maybe it wouldn't a way, but, <laughs> but um, more of a goal, I guess. But I think that uh, my mother was very much so is you're not harming anybody and, and it's going to be complicated and it's going to be weird. But my parents very much so grew up knowing that. I mean, they grew, you know, they, they were Wiccan in the, the, the 70s, uh, you know, uh, in 80s when the, the, the whole the, the motto was to know, to will, to dare, and to keep silent. Like it was a very, um, it was a very, very thing where like people were shamed for being Wiccan. So I don't think my, I think what happened with that is my mother definitely didn't want us to feel that shame. And my, my father either when he was alive didn't want us to feel that shame. Um, I just didn't know that I was really polyamorous until <laughs> after my father had passed. Right. And so in going forward from this uh, sort of very loving household where your parents instilled a lot of sense of not wanting you to be ashamed of the things about you and your upbringing that were different, you've been able to sort of go forward and take that into the parts of your adulthood that are different as well. So it's sort of given you a lot of tools to deal with being polyamorous in a world that's sort of built for monogamous people. Absolutely. I think that the other part of it that really gets for me is that, you know, now we're dealing with my, you know, we have, we have our own children, we have two daughters, and they are experiencing their own queerness. And they're living in this world that is that is unusual for mm -hmm. most people. 
And I grew up in a world that was unusual for most people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's very different than even my partners who grew up in more traditional households um, it, for what it's worth, you know, in their various ways. But my family was always weird. My family was always, I always had to explain something. I, I gave a talk when I was, when I was uh, 11 on uh, uh, being Wiccan to my, my seventh grade class or whatever, my sixth grade class. So, you know, it was, uh, and my teacher wanted to hear what I had to say. And that was, aside from being very, very useful for me and how I deal with my kids now, um, it also allows me to see that, that this is a, there's, there's, I can't see any downside uh, aside from the downside of every relationship that there is for having this combination of the spirituality and, and, uh, and polyamory and ethical non-monogamy in general. Well, and you're sort of well ahead of some people because you already got used to giving the speech about, well, poly is a root for many, and... <laughs> That's right. When you say polytheistic, and they go, the what? <laughs> I go, well, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You get to be like, poly many, theistic, gods, mm -hmm. relating to gods. Now you get to go, poly many, Amory, love. Yeah. And, and on top of which, you know, that you mentioned, the other thing that kind of pops up for me is that Wicca also talks about, I mean, unfortunately, especially back in the, you know, 70s and 60s when, when Wicca really came back into light as a, as a religion, um, you know, uh, Polly was definitely focused on the, uh, the, the duality of spirit, the, the, mm -hmm. the god and the goddess. And now it's kind of, and even from then it was kind of morphing to be all genders and, and all encompassing. But the concept is a balance. And um, so I think not having that uh, society where, no, there is a high priest and the, pri and the man is the one who dominates. And that's so not the case uh, with Wicca. In fact, there's even Dianic Wicca, which is kind of the all other side of the coin. But um, when it comes to with general Wicca, it's just that it's, it's the balance. It's, the, it's that, that there is no higher gender. Or there's no higher, you know, ethnicity or any of these things, unlike some other religions, which... Uh, <laughs> so Wicca gives us that. And I think that's where polyamory also is very helpful with Wicca uh, and, and vice versa, is that, you know, you see this, oh... There's no, this is the subjugate to the, the dominant, as it were. Um, and that doesn't exist in Wicca in that sense, at least, you know, not in the, the, the basic or even some of the more advanced versions of, of the teachings. So I think that helped too, because you see, oh, these were partners. It's a partnership. Well, right. And it's, you can personalize some of the rituals to a greater extent. And there's also like, there's, I was present at your guys' hand fasting, and it's not like traditional vows of love, honor, and obey, you yeah. know? Obey uh, is never. I couldn't, you think my mom, you can get, my dad could get my mom to say obey anywhere? No. Do you think you no could way. get your mom to conduct a ceremony where anyone was promising to obey you? Hell no. Not, not even in close. a million years. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I got to be present at this really beautiful ceremony where the three of you did a hand fasting, and your mom conducted this ceremony for you and members of your family were part of it in terms of helping with uh, carrying uh, different ritual items around or reading parts of the text from different um, what's called compass points around the three of you and it was really beautifully conducted and like it's not a religious practice that I'm particularly familiar with so it was in a way, almost extra moving because of what one of my religious studies professors in college called the magic of the unfamiliar. 
uh, <laughs> which is that any ceremony that you're not familiar with enough to be bored is given automatically more transcendent power than one that you have memorized. So it's not my Catholic catechism. So yeah, right, I've right. got... No Catholicenics, no uh, standing up, kneeling, sitting down, standing down. <laughs> uh, automatically listening closer to the words and thereby more moved by the metaphor included and all of these additional little bits and pieces and noting sort of how egalitarian and inclusive the language was able to be as the three of you were all sort of making your promises of your life to each other as you tied your hands was really beautiful. And I think it speaks to that that you were saying about it being a religion that's framed as balance and um, kind of unity and nature and not something about relative social hierarchy and positioning. Mm -hmm. A coven is communal. I mean, uh, for with Wicca, we have covens. We are witches, uh, mm -hmm. for those who do not know. And uh, it's it's communal. So in general, I guess uh, the sort of big takeaways that I'm getting from you are that your spirituality was really well placed for you in terms of helping you reflect the circumstances of your life in such a way that you were better able to sort of align yourself with the bits of you that are weird. Uh, and that helped you... I mean, let's look at your life choices here. You're a polyamorous pansexual magician. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and so explaining yourself is pretty much your bread and butter. Exactly. Just, just, I just spent a lot <laughs> so of time telling people, yeah, I'm good weird. Good training as a kid for this. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've, really been, I've been really been rocking it up the whole time. Just Leaned slowly. into it. I started off being left-handed and just went from there. So, yeah, <laughs> already just right down into the hell. All right. <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, in general, you came from a kind of accepting community, which helped buoy you a little. And your family in particular has been really amazing throughout. And I will attest to this. Your mom is the greatest. Yeah, she, she really is. She <laughs> really great. is forever. <laughs> um, and so I don't know if there's really a great lesson to take away from this, except that Wicca really worked for you in a way that I think, like, being an ex-Catholic doesn't work for me. Um <laughs> I think the big difference is that I was able to embrace my weird from a very young age, and I think that in, in more traditional religions, um, being weird is not necessarily given the same amount of nurturing that it can be in pagan religions, because pagans understand, and, I, and, and whereas atheists kind of have that, they, they got the bitter edge because they're against the world, and not that atheists are, but like they, there's certainly a lot of those who feel that way because... Well, you know, Christianity is the overbearing creature uh, in in United States anyway, and so um, atheists are kind of against it. Whereas uh, pagans, yeah, we're against it. We understand that we're the minority, but we're also like, well, there's versions of us that were here before Christianity, so we're uh, we we take that to heart, and we're just like, listen, we were here, and we're. Where nature's with us, the the world is with us, we're fine with it. And it sounds like at least in the groups you were brought up in, you were raised in a sort of uh, communal and inclusive religious organization, at least, or loose religious organization, mm -hmm. depending on yeah, exactly. the time frame. Yeah. And that in and of itself is very different than sort of heavily structured religions where they're like, well, you can be included if you fit in. Mm -hmm. 
get in your role. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, there are there are there certainly pagan communities that uh, and, and Wiccan communities that certainly do that, and it's unfortunate that those exist. But the big thing for me is that um, you know my family, my coven was my family's coven. My parents were the lead of it, and they always welcomed everybody in, and really it kind of expanded like a group of like. I don't know, 40, 50 people. So, okay. <laughs> you know, and, but that was their leading and their doing. And, and that was something that you, again, it was just like, that was, it was focused so much, so much on family, more so than this building is what leads your religion. You yeah. know, this God was, no, it's your family that, that connects it all together. And do you think that that sort of, those messages of inclusivity helped you as an adult with managing relationships in general? Like, do you think that taught you any relationship skills or do you think that those are things that you learned in other aspects of your life? I think that seeing my parents the way that they were um, was really what helped me kind of understand uh, the way that, that, you know, how to react with other relationships. You know, my, like I said, as you know, my, my parents being so loving and so understanding also had their share of knockdown, drag out fights. Uh, and my father got sick. My mother took care of my father. Um, my father took care of my mother whenever she was like, if she was in the hospital for something, she had like stuff with her knees and everything. So it was always good to see that back and forth. And again, you know, if my parents weren't monogamous, uh, you'd be hard pressed to tell one way or the other because they were so loving towards their friends and so loving, um, you know, that it just, that was really, I think, what, what helped me out. And to see that come through religiously, uh, pardon the phrasing, but like they, they followed that concept of love everyone unless you're an asshole. <laughs> and it's really, and that really does help. Love everyone it does. unless you're an asshole. Judy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Judy. <laughs> totally. Totally. Hmm. Judy's my mom, by the way, for those who don't know. That's my mom, Judy Byron. Rhiannon's hook. Yes, she she's great. We can put a link to her store in the That's right. show notes. It'll be great. <laughs> so... Thank you so much for sharing some of these like lessons of sort of inclusivity and general weirdness from your spirituality and your religious upbringing with us. Um, are there any sort of final thoughts about this topic that you have for us? The one thing that I love about Wicca, um, at least the version of Wicca that I was brought up in, and the one that's generally accepted, um, is the concept of not proselytizing. And to not tell people, you must be Wiccan, otherwise you are not okay. As I bring absurd. him on a show to talk about his religion, don't <laughs> proselytize. Here, have a platform. Exactly. <laughs> but there's the difference, right? So my point is that I would never tell anybody to be Wiccan any more than I would tell anybody polyamorous. But to say that there is that, that it is out there and that it works for so many people and that you need to find the thing that connects to you and works for you, it's not just the concept that Wicca follows. Like, I am here to give you information if you need it. I'm There's people out there who can give you so many wonderful pieces of information, especially about whether it's paganism or polyamory. But that's the thing is that the information is there, but we don't say you must be this. And I, I can't find a bigger connection uh, between paganism and polyamory than the fact is that we don't need to proselytize. If it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Great. So where can we see you coming up soon in November? Oh, in November? 
Oh, in November? All right. Well, the first weekend of November, I will be at the Rose Room in New York City on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the, for these really cool things that are happening at, like, midnight for all three of these nights. It's going to be crazy. Uh, and then it's uh, going to be just uh, – we're just – we're bouncing all over the place. We're going to be, uh, you know, in Connecticut and Florida – hopefully New Jersey, all over the place. And uh, to find out about that, you can follow me at uh, danielgreenwolf.com. So a great big thanks to both of our guests, Purity to Polyamory and Daniel Greenwolf, for being with us this episode. Next week, we're going to have the second part of our little series looking at religion and spirituality and polyamory and how people's backgrounds and current beliefs have affected their practice of polyamory. So... I hope that you join us for that. Uh, please, if you want, take a look in the show notes for our guests, uh, various websites and upcoming projects, and also for uh, Daniel's mom, Judy's uh, crochet website, because I wasn't joking about throwing that in the show notes, and she makes super cute things. Um, Judy's the best. And also, of course, you can always find my blog, readyforpolyamory.com, uh, and all of my social media in the show notes as well if you want to follow. If you feel like becoming a supporter of the podcast, we've got memberships on Ko-Fi. And also, uh, if you're interested in more information about polyamory or you have particular sort of problems that you want to work out, I now offer one-on-one or small group peer support and coaching sessions, which you can also find through the Ko-Fi page uh, if you're interested. So, I'll see you here next week for the second part of this series and in future weeks for a bunch of new and interesting material. Uh, So we're back every week from now on, you guys. Thank you, uh, and I'll see you then. Bye. Bye.